This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Phil Hester, and you're lucky to be listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 68 of THN. We are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 31st. And we're reading your tweets while we do it. So don't forget to tweet us at TwoHeadedNerd on the Twitter, although this has already happened. We just kind of do this thing where we make it sound like it's live, but it's not. My name is Matt Bob, and when I'm not proving to Joe Patrick that he was the only thing holding me back, and this is going to be the best show ever without him, I am writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for our guest co-host. <laughs> and I'm David DeMarco, hey! your guest co-host while DJ finishes his honeymoon. And when I'm not being berated for bringing the wrong massage oil and whining the whole time I'm giving Matt the Swedish massage that Joe lovingly gives him before each show, I'm the owner of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. It's peppermint, not that sandalwood bull. This week we'll hear reviews of Irredeemable number 37 and Batman Annual number 1. After that, we'll review 10 comics so fast Bill Clinton would call a reviewing prowess anything but sterling. During the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll pay a visit to THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, because Joe isn't here to monitor my ADHD medication, we're introducing a brand new segment where we interview a real comic book professional. So get ready to hear from artist extraordinaire Jeremy Hahn in the first edition of Inside the Comic Studio. But before we get to all the one-upping and name-dropping, let's take a second to remind the media, reporting on the latest group of quote-unquote zombie attacks, the real, the difference between zombies and cannibals. A zombie is an animated corpse that eats human flesh, and a cannibal is a living person that eats human flesh. Therefore, cannibal attacks. <laughs> now, do not kill my dreams. We can talk about this week's big news. <laughs> Over the weekend, a photo leaked onto the interwebs featuring a potential villain in Iron Man 3 wearing a suit of red, white, and blue armor bearing a striking resemblance to the very same armor worn by Norman Osborn as the Iron Patriot. While the chances of Sony releasing the rights to Norman Osborn are less than slight, could this be part of an Armor Wars storyline for Iron Man 3 featuring Tony hunting down anyone who has stolen his technology? Matt! Does this mean we could see Dolph Lundgren in a crimson dynamo suit? Just like in the dream. (laughs) Oh my god. I think they have to go here. I think this is the next logical place. I think the Armor Wars is feels natural they already set up the thing where the government wanted war machine and they sent him to go get tony and they realized and we've got our own suit now iron man is out there the rest of the world has seen it i think the armor wars is totally natural and what happens next is this the iron patriot i don't think so my guess is they're painting up war machine to look like a more like here's your american battle suit he's not some socialist like tony stark he's a war machine you know <laughs> sure um well what then where does that leave war machine does he get his own bl- super awesome black and silver suit or is 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 don Cheadle as james rhodes not in no Iron i Man think 3? he's there i just think maybe they're starting to use him as a puppet and he probably is like i'm not gonna do this or whatever you know it steps out of it someone else less responsible gets in the suit something goes wrong but a russian <laughs> suit shows up that'd you be know, nice a mesoamerican shoot <laughs> i don't know <laughs> the, the, I, oh no 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 and a- bang armor wars uh but yeah i think it has to go here i think this is the next logical step well sure and it's also a, a problem that would be it makes perfect sense i mean there's no way you could stop like somebody will build an iron man suit 
like the uh, the second one, um, uh, Ivan Vanko, whatever, right. built it in his garage. He was able to create a a, formid- a formidable suit in his garage to fight Iron Man. So of course, if the technology's out there, somebody will build it and release it, and terrorists everywhere will have right. And they've Iron already terrorists. addressed that this is happening with Whiplash. They've already addressed yeah. that people are throwing money at this. I hope it's the Armor Wars. I, I do too. Really do. In other Hollywood news, he's been spreading rumors of his retirement for ten years now, but it seems George Lucas is stepping down as the head of Lucasfilm. No, sort of. In a press release issued Friday, June first, Lucasfilm Limited announced that Kathleen Kennedy will become co-chair of Lucasfilm in an effort to move forward with Lucas's retirement plans. Dave, is a chorus of "Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead" inappropriate or too soon? I don't know. I mean, it's. George Lucas, yes, people have made claims that he's peed all over our childhoods by, you know, daring to give us Jar Jar and cutting Darth Maul in half and a tiny Anakin Skywalker. However, he also gave us the first trilogy, and I love it, and I still love it. And Star Wars in capable hands only gets better. Uh, Agreed. And I'm not going to go into where I stand on this because it's a a 45-minute rant at least, but... I don't think he's stepping down. I think his retirement is going to be over the next five to ten years. They've noticed they called uh, Kathleen Kennedy a co-chair. Sure. What does that mean? It means when I feel you're ready. I, I, it means George. I suppose Lucas is you down. can. I suppose you can have the the job at uh, that point. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, like he doesn't want to do press conferences soon. anymore. He doesn't. He wants to do his own thing, and she will write checks and go to board meetings. I suppose and do whatever. Yeah. He'll still, of course, it's all his babies. So. Now, if this means he has nothing to do with whatever star wars tv show that is coming i think that's a better thing well sure i mean if anything just because he's too obvious i mean obviously he goes back and redoes things that he's already done yeah you know, he can't keep his hand uh, you know yeah. out of anything skirt he's Stop, kind of like, yeah. you know what you know what no here's what i forgot this yeah. is what i should have done <laughs> stop it yeah while the world, i.e. the ladies on The View, clutched their pearls and collapsed onto their fainting couches discussing Marvel's upcoming gay wedding. <laughs> I didn't know they had fainting couches. The whole couch is a fainting couch. I don't watch The View, though. So. <laughs> well, I, I love The View. DC jumped into the fray, announcing that an iconic character would be revealed as gay in a future issue. After the internet went wild with rumors and guesses, Earth 2 writer James Robinson went on record with The Advocate and Entertainment Weekly confirming the popular guess that Alan Scott, the original Golden Age Green Lantern, was in fact the gay character in question. Robinson had this to say. Alan Scott was an older hero who'd been around a long time and had a gay son, a hero named Obsidian. Since we were making Alan young again, I thought it was a shame to lose that gay character, so why not make Alan Scott gay? Keep in mind that this Alan Scott exists in a separate reality than the rest of the DCU in the pages of Robinson's Earth 2, and that DC had previously said they would not be changing the sexuality of any characters. Matt, is this good news for gay comic fans, or a bit of a cop-out on DC's part? Both? Yeah. Can it be both? (laughs) Yes, I mean, totally. I think it can be both. It can swing both ways, it can do all that stuff. I think it's good news that there are more gay characters in comics, as long as they're not pounded into the comic. Sure. And while I can understand that you really can't take someone like Batman or Superman and make him gay, it's just... I don't and think it's, it's not that like, I, possible for Superman to be gay. We, I'm, what? Well, at least not on Earth. He can't be gay with... He's a <laughs> I suppose. He's, he's an, an alien. alien. Yeah, he can <laughs> sleep even, with whoever he wants. I hadn't even thought of it like that. <laughs> it's not gay if you're Kryptonian, <laughs> well, you know, only, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> 
And really, Superman? Gosh. <laughs> no, but I mean, the point being, you can't pound on this too hard. You've got to do, if you're going to do this, they've got to make it work with the story. It's got to be believable. And honestly, when I first heard it, that it was Alan Scott, I thought, well, yeah, that's a complete cop out. It's on Earth 2. This is not the major quote unquote character that was going to, I mean, he's maybe what, the fifth Sixth most popular Green Lantern. It's a cheat because Green Lantern, if you just say the words Green Lantern, iconic. Right. right? But why not? I mean, how about Superman? And it's actually um, uh, Hank Henshaw. Right. He was one of the cyborg Superman, right? He had an S on his chest. Yeah, he was a Superman. He's gay. He's totally gay. He's gay. He's steel. Yeah, he's a black Superman. You don't like black people? What? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a total cop out. It really is. But. I think it does work. I see Robinson working. I don't hate this at all. And I think I really enjoyed Earth 2, number one. I think this is going to be a fun story. I think if anyone is to blame here, it's absolutely DC's news people. They're PR people. They completely flubbed it. They probably didn't even know. I mean, oh, he's Green Lantern? Oh, yeah. You mean the guy Ryan Reynolds played? That is huge. (laughs) You know? I mean, like, they probably don't even know. Yeah. And you can't necessarily blame DC for that. And this is something that's been done for a long time as well. Now, they did totally hijack Marvel's gay news. I don't think they did though. They completely did. No, it was like it was good. If they, the Whoopi Goldberg came out on the View, and they were like, "Oh my god, this is so important." And then DC was like, <laughs> "We have, a gay we gay. have a gay news <laughs> of our own." You know, like I mean, they totally hijacked. I think it. they tried to, but at the end, I mean, people are talking about like you just said. This is. A separate reality. It's a separate universe. It doesn't count. Right. No, the point is is that it's not a character. Like, you could almost say, like, nobody cares about this particular Green Lantern. Yes. Well, he's not truly not iconic. Yeah. He's not a major character. But again, I don't think that's DC's fault. I think that's their press people. And this was probably handled poorly. And the press people probably saw the Marvel stuff coming down the line and went... Oh, uh, we got something. Didn't you didn't you tell me there was like some gay character like Batman's going to come out of the closet or something? They're like, "Well, not Batman, but one of the Green Lanterns." Robin. Don't tell me anymore. Green Lanterns coming out of the closet. Done, got it, you know. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where you can take a guess as to which THN host is gay. And with the addition of our new guest host the decision just got 33 and one third harder to call. What? Where? Nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well. I'm so in love with you. I'll be forever David, before we go any further, can you read us a tweet from one of our lovely listeners? Absolutely. Uh, here's a tweet from John Grigas. Hey, nerds. Which before Watchmen title is going to freak out the most fanboys? That's a good question. I'm going to go with the Minutemen, because if anything, the Minutemen is the story of how all these heroes got together and stuff, and I think that will touch the most directly on the history of everyone. And Darwin Cook, who I love, also has a big ego. <laughs> that is true. And, and I, I really like Darwin he's Cook. He's not going to be afraid to write whatever kind of story he wants here. I'm going to say Minutemen. That's my guess. That is fair. Um, I'm going to go with the Boba Fett-style answer and say Rorschach, because Brian Azzarello has a history of taking psychotic lunatics and kind of ruining their back. True. This is true. See so the pimped-out Killer Croc or, from uh, his Batman. Brian Brian Azzarello's Joker, his alternate Joker. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, Brian, but I didn't care for it. 
It's review time again, where our initiate Dave will become a man by joining me in holding up a cute, fuzzy, wide-eyed, and innocent comic that came out this, or last Wednesday, by its tail and slitting its throat. Dave, tell the boys and girls what you read. This week, um, well, actually last week, because it came out last week, but I'm here this week, I read Irredeemable number 37 from Boom Studios, written by Mark Wade with art by Diego Barreto. It's the last issue, so I will admit it's a little unfair for me to be reviewing it, because if you have not been keeping up with the whole story, you're not... Me, for instance. I have not been keeping up with the story. Well, I'm sorry, because it's wonderful. Um, so you're but... on your own, on your first day. Oh, Go! Dang it. Don't right, crash well, the plane. The, prem- the basic premise, for those who do not know, is... The, essentially, what is what if Superman went nuts? Now, a Superman-like character, he went crazy, rogue, decided he hated us, whatever. He goes berserk and starts killing people on just a ridiculous scale. He sinks the entire country of Singapore into the ocean. He's a terrible person. And you kind of learn through the first 36 issues why he became terrible, what it was that drove him from being the world's greatest hero to this horrifying irredeemable monster if it was not i think for mark wade's love of comics and his ability to turn this sort of thing on its head i think it might have ended kind of i think hollow oh yeah absolutely but and we should say this was a superman story that he came up with for dc and they turned down yes and he adapted this into irredeemable and yet he still managed to tell a superman story and i want to say spoilers right we'll get there we'll get there yes (laughs) (laughs) so a lot of lesser writers might have begun spinning their wheels after a few story arcs you know after say 15 issues this might have started to feel stale or oh in this issue irredeemable uh the plutonian breaks the hoover dam and kills a bunch of babies turns into a girl (laughs) oh god plutonian girl Except that every issue I felt had momentum. Like each one, you learn something more. Something happens that was sad. It would tie into the um, other, the sister series, Incorruptible. And every time I thought the book would be like, well, this is over, it would be a different setting, a prison planet. There'd be alien gods, suicidal parents, the whole thing. Um, And I will say that when. I read the story initially, the first, say, seven issues. I did not feel sorry for the Plutonian at all. I He's a terrible character. I actually really liked Cubit, his science-minded friend who was trying to help him, essentially trying to redeem the irredeemable guy. Right. I mean, and after, now that we've reached the end, I completely broke down and felt sorry for the Plutonian. Welcome like, to Mark Wade. I know, right? This I got what this guy does. It got dusty in the comic store. I was reading it in front of people, and I started to, to cry a little bit, and I was like, I had to hide behind the counter. So, <laughs> I really did. I had to <laughs> I'm sorry, down. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> so, the question is, for me, how can you redeem a character like the Plutonian? And what Mark did was he went all meta on us, which... Sometimes I like and sometimes sometimes I don't, i.e. Mark Miller. Um, Irredeemable could have been, like you said, an Elseworld story where a berserk Superman, you know, goes crazy, kills Lois, does everything. Farts on Lex Luthor. Farts on Lex Luthor. Super farts on Lex Luthor. <laughs> farts him to death, of course. <laughs> into space. Into the sun. In a way, it was because Mark, or Mark Wade got his Superman story. He... This is the spoiler part, so anyone who is at all interested in following this, pause or do whatever you have to do. Throw your iPod out the window. Jump out of the car. Yeah, (laughs) just send it up a cliff. Open the door and just roll out. Curl into a ball. It's important. (laughs) So the deal is, the Plutonian is rendered like he's an energy being, and he's unmade at the end of this issue. And Cubit 
manages to take the essence, the thing that made the Plutonian, what he was, and he disperses it across many different realities. And then he becomes like a notion. His notion manages to make it to our Earth at the end. And you see a young Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster basically coming up with the concept of Superman. It's just a sketch. You wouldn't be sued for it. I mean, there's no S or anything like that. But the idea is that... It's not like, hey, Jerry Siegel, what's that, Joel Schuster? (laughs) Yeah. He becomes the idea of Superman. The big thing that Cubit was looking for was that somebody would find that essence and get it exactly right. Do something good with it. Yes. And I think, you know... As opposed to cracking the earth in half. Exactly. And Superman is... I, growing up, Superman, I didn't read a lot of Superman, but God help me, every time I was exposed to something that had to do with Superman, the movie, a comic book, the oh, cartoon, yeah. oh, I, would, yeah. I just, he's everything right with America. So Dave, here on the show, we rate everything on a buy it, which is the best, mm-hmm. skim it, which doesn't necessarily mean it's terrible, but maybe not worth the price of admission, or a leave it rating. Now, you are in an amazing place here. Because you have chosen a book that ended. So I'm going to say, why don't you go ahead and rate the entire series? The entire series. This issue completed. The, the, your rating will apply to all of it. Buy it. A thousand times buy it. It's There's only 37 issues. I, I checked our back stock at the shop. They are not... They're $3. I mean, they're not skyrocketing yeah, none in value. Of these, I mean, like the first issue is kind of hard to find, but I don't think it books much higher than 6 bucks. I I bet you could go on eBay and type in Irredeemable Run 1 through 37 yeah, and agree. pay $30 or I 40 You could probably get it fairly cheap, and yep. you should. Yeah, because- it's wonderful. Matt, what did you read? This week, I read Batman Annual, number one from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder with art by Jason Fabok or Fabok or Fabok. One of the two. I, I like Fabak. Fabak. Here's your solicit. Mr. Freeze is introduced into the new 52. What is Mr. Freeze's relationship to the Court of Owls? Is he an ally or do they want him dead? Night of the Owls continues here. So, <laughs> remember when annuals used to mean something? I remember when I was young, annuals used to be awesome. Yes. I used to race to the quick shop and... I admit it. Sometimes I would steal annuals if I didn't have enough money for that them. Quick Shop is gone now, probably because <laughs> of you. Because of my theftery. Uh, I loved annuals. They were so much fun. But for like the last, God, what, 10, 15 years, they've just become awful. They've become something that you can skip every time because yeah. they have nothing to do with anything that's going on. It's generally not the regular creative team that's doing it. And this is not a slam on anybody that's worked on annuals. I can't imagine how hard it is to work for DC Comics and for them to come and go, hey, kid, you're writing Batman this month you know, or whatever. you know. <laughs> okay, As the solicit said here, this was the introduction of Victor Freeze into the post-relaunch DCU, which might be oxymoronic considering that not much has changed in the post-relaunch Bat continuity. If anything, Batman and Green Lantern, I suppose, are two of the least affected properties. Batman has gotten more awesome? In this relaunch. Uh, yeah, it's definitely more fun than it was, that's but about, yeah. not a whole lot has changed. He can fly now. <laughs> he has heat vision. That's right. He could predict the future. <laughs> Freeze's origin was mostly similar to Paul Dini's post-crisis origin, but Snyder has Freeze working for Wayne Tech instead of whatever the evil company was i can't even remember the name yeah joe would know joe would know sorry i'm sorry everybody <laughs> man no i'm just kidding and he's written in some intensely personal backstory stuff that really fleshes out the character of course i should not have been shocked 
because this is what Scott Snyder does. This is what he's been doing in his bat run. And it's part of what makes it so great is he's taking all these characters and making them so damn human that it's almost hard to read or at points. Mr. Freeze's case the other way. Yeah. <laughs> While the story does deal in some flashback and it sets up Freeze and new continuity, most of it takes place during the Night of the Owls crossover where we're seeing it like it's shortly after midnight yeah. and Freeze is busting into the Wayne Tech laboratories to free his cryogenically frozen wife nora and she's been stored at this abandoned lab we see in his origin that he worked there years ago and bruce wayne came to shut down the funding and he freaked out and there was an accident boom mr freeze i'm not yep. gonna go any more into that now i'm not gonna spoil what happens here but there is a huge gigantic revelation and this is new brand new stuff that brand Snyder introduced and it instantly makes mr freeze one of like the most scary interesting yes fully explorable bat villains are like i cannot wait to see where they take this yeah he's actually complex now he's super every bat villain is usually just like a a caricature the joker you can go he's very complex and yet still all the joker stories essentially are the same right uh poison ivy there's nothing there but freeze it turns out He's There's deep. a whole thing we did not know yes. at all, and it is terrifying. It changes the whole nature of the character. Absolutely, and all of a sudden, a lot of things make sense. Yeah. A lot of things make sense about why he's completely inhuman, why he is so oh, yeah. cold, what he thinks love is. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not pretty, I'll tell you that much. Uh, Jason Fabok, or Fabok, Fabok, supplies the art for this issue, and he seems to be a perfect addition to the stable of bad artists. Previously, Fabok was working at Aspen on Soulfire and recently helped David Finch do some finishes on The Dark Knight, number four and five. He is excellent here. The cover is perfect. Yeah. Mr. Freeze in the background, a big, bulky, kind of like Jim Lee, but cleaner looking Batman. Yeah. After seeing this work, I demand DC gives him a regular job. He's got this style reminiscent. Uh, it reminded me of Gary Frank. Very human, very expressive. But it also had this very Jim Lee action kind of feel to it. Oh, absolutely. It's a beautiful looking book. And I cannot get over how they did his helmet. Yeah. I'm actually working with colorist Peter Stegerwald. I think that's how you say it. Sure. Him and yeah, the two came up with this technique to give Mr. Freeze's mask this three-dimensional crystalline look. It's faceted. And like when he turns, it sort of catches the light. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a clamshell, you know, an oyster shell. Exactly. Yeah. So cool looking, though. And it makes him look even scarier and less human. And oh, they just nailed this. Snyder's once again brought the DC annual to must-read status. This was excellent. He totally succeeded in revitalizing the character of Mr. Freeze. It fits in perfectly with the Night of Owls storyline, so you don't feel like you're taking a break and buying an extra book that costs more money. This is packed full of art. It's beautiful. It's an excellent story. Buy it. Uh, I completely agree. It's totally rad. I have been trying to keep up with Night of Owls. It's not something that has been on my main list. You know what? I will say... DC is doing a terrible job of telling us what to read in order. Oh, there is no that. there's no chapter one, two, three, whatever. I am and I can't it in a find big a list. Pile. It's a huge pile. I'm just gonna read it all at once. I and didn't hope that it'll make sense. I didn't read Red Hood and the Outlaws, but apparently Mr. Freeze popped up there, which he came out like the first week of May. Yes. And people are like, What are you talking about, readers? He's right here. You yeah. know, he already gave away what they're gonna be doing in the Batman annual. The one thing though is that the at least in the annual you get the it actually does I mean Mr. Freeze in the Red Hood 
could be considered like the standard. But now that the annual has come out, you understand that he is completely different from. Oh, fair enough. You know, I didn't so, read it. It it's the well the yeah. Uh, I try to avoid Red Hood Outlaws. Honestly, it is what it is. Um, but every once in a while, it gets boring at the shop, and I get lonely. As always, we want to know what you Plutonians and Popsicles thought of these comics, so let us know how cold and inhuman our reviews were over our Facebook page. Now it's time for me to don my North Star costume. And since Dave is a scab, he gets to be Aurora. And we'll go streaking gaily across the Canadian skyline, following Venus on its transit across the sun, which only happens twice a century. Huh? Powered by our mutant sibling love. All the while reviewing ten comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Ravagers, number one from DC. I enjoyed Howard Mackey's writing on Ghost Rider back in the 90s. I loved it when X Factor. Well, unfortunately, it is no longer 1990. No, it is not. I am no longer 13. <laughs> this team book has two characters named Lightning and Thunder, for God's sakes. Leave it. Uh, Grim Leaper, number one, Image. This is a new book from Curtis Weedy, the guy who, or Weedy, I don't know how to say it. The guy who's doing Peter Panzer Files, which is a book that I like. Wonderful. There's an interesting story here. It's kind of like a really violent quantum leap. But I can't get past the weird art and the really weird coloring. Too much sepia, too much purple, too much brown. Skin it. I'm giving it a skin it. Superman Family Adventures, number one, DC. I've been depressed since Tiny Titans ended, and this book from Art Balthazar and Franco Aureliani. Wow. Aureliani? Aureliani was exactly what I needed to get out of my doldrums. Lex Luthor has a pet mouse named Fuzzy. That's adorable. Buy it. Is this pet mouse reminiscent of Pinky or the Brain? Uh, it is after it gets a Superman's powers. hey Godzilla number one, IDW. For some reason, IDW felt it necessary to renumber and restart Godzilla story. I thought Kingdom of Monsters was going really well, and they had a good team on it. This is a new team. I like Dwayne Krasinski, the writer, but I don't know if this is the right book. He did a good job humanizing one character in the book, but this is a book about Godzilla. Are there giant robots in it? There are not giant robots in it, but the other monsters are there. You lost me. And the art is okay. Again, it's good art, but I think it might work better for a street-level crime book. I just feel like both these guys are kind of mismatched here. You have a Godzilla book. You went from Godzilla to street-level crime I know. All right. It's not working for me so far. I hate to do this, but I gotta get to leave it. Oh my god. I know, I hate to do it. Ghostbusters, number nine from IDW. I've wanted to read this comic for a while based on the awesome covers that I would see at the shop, and I was not disappointed. This comic is essentially reading a great episode of the old real Ghostbusters cartoon. Buy it. Airboy, Dead Eye number two, Antarctic Press. This is Chuck Dixon's Airboy, back with a kind of strange art by Ben Dunn. I love the late 80s series. And this one is fun, but I wish Dunn was drawing it more like his chapter of Nazi Zombies. A little more realistic and a little less cartoony. Still, good read. Buy it. That is the fourth book from Antarctic Press that I have reviewed and given a buy it. Oh, up your butt, Joe Patrick, if you're listening. <laughs> Star Trek Doctor Who Assimilation Squared or Assimilation 2. I think just the title alone might justify the review I'm going to give. It starts off strong with the Cybermen being mistaken for the Borg, finishes strong with a fun twist, 
but the art is kind of weird with a lot of uh, weird painted gaping mouths. And if you are not a fan, they look like blow up dolls. Yeah, bad. everyone looks like a blow up doll. And if you're not a fan of Star Trek or Doctor Who, there is not much here for a casual reader. Yeah. Skim it. Secret Avengers number 27. Renato Guidis jumps in on r 2 to tell the story of the return of Captain Marvel. Not a scroll, not a Rick Jones with a Mega Band story, but... And that was Mega Band. Mega Band. Oh, no, 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 no. But the Kree hero, Captain Marvel. I loved the art. I love Reminder's story. And I kind of love Captain Marvel, so I'm happy to see him back. The title keeps getting stronger. Buy it! America's Got Powers, number two from Image. The first issue made me able to say America's Got Powers without rolling my eyes. No small feat. And the second issue actually got me to care about the characters and what might happen to them by it. Mind management number one, Dark Horse. This is Matt Kent's series. Matt Kent, who did some work on Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth, which I also love. Kent has a really strange art style, but it works so well. I love him. For this really odd story. This came out last week. It might be hard to find. Go pick this up if you're a fan of Lost. If you're a fan of any mind-bending second story. Second out. Super fun. Buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and warp is the sound that the TARDIS makes when it materializes aboard the Enterprise, as seen in this week's issue of Star Trek The Next Generation Doctor Who Assimilation Squared. Number one. Number one. (laughs) Come on, that is a mouthful. It is. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Matt and I are desperately trying to settle down our old friend Alan Moore, who, with one week before, before Watchmen hits... Before, before. Before, before. It's a tricky one. <laughs> ...has been on a steady diet of MDMA and Swamp Thing psychedelic tubers. Those are drugs, folks. It's true. He wrote them. The good news is that during his rants, Mr. Moore may have revealed some secrets of next week's other comics. That guy is connected, man. Matt, what has Alan's drug-induced tantrum revealed to you? Next week, and I'm sorry, Alan, but I'm going for Before Watchmen, Minutemen. He's gonna hate it. Number one, written he hates it. and drawn by the multi-Eisner award-winning Darwin Cook. I trust this guy. I think this is going to be fun, and remember... Screaming and crying nerds. No matter what happens, it doesn't take anything away from your Watchmen story. Dave, what will you be reading next week? Uh, Next week, I'm going to read Dial H, number two, from DC Comics, written by China Mielville and drawn by Mateus Santaluco. I really enjoyed the number one. It was kind of creepy and also intriguing. Chimney Boy is perhaps my newest, <laughs> favoritest. He was gross. The <laughs> grossest, awfulest thing that I've seen in a long while from DC Comics. Of course, myself, Dave, and Al would love to know what you are reading next week. We call him Al. We're on a first name basis. Oh, of course. An old buddy of ours. Yeah. Smells, but he's, you know, you don't get to pick who your friends are. He lets me brush his you beard. You can pick your nose. You can pick your friends. You can't pick your friends, yada, yada. So let us know what you're reading on our Facebook page. Now it's time to introduce yet another new segment, Inside the Comic Studio, where we take some time to sit down with a real comic professional who isn't aware of the quality of this show and willing to talk with us about his or her job in the comic industry. Earlier this week, I sat down with Jeremy Hahn, who's worked as an artist and anchor for both Marvel, DC, and is currently working on Top Gal's The Darkness series. Here's what he had to say. 
Uh, thank you for joining us, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you could just give me a real quick uh, background. Did you always read comics? Is it something you fell into? Or? Uh, yeah, actually, as a kid, um, I was about four years old, and uh, my grandmother started getting comics for me frequently. Yeah. What was the first one you remember reading? Uh, man, I, I've actually been thinking about this recently. Um, you can lie, nobody will know. Yeah, it was, no. <laughs> uh, there was this issue of uh, Superman where he was uh, having this punch-up with uh, Parasite on, like, these buoys out in the water. <laughs> I, that's about all I remember. We'll mark it up to an action. Yes, yeah, so, there we go. And when did you start actually drawing? Um... About that same time, uh, I had this little desk in my room, and um, I got these comics, and there was no short supply of paper in my house, and uh, I just constantly was drawing everything. I drew what I saw in comics, I drew what I saw around me, and uh, I just kept doing it. Uh, so you are a freelancer, meaning Absolutely. you're currently not working for any one company. Can you explain... Well, I Technically, at the moment, I guess I am working for Top Cow. Pretty. Oh, expensive. really? Yeah, yeah. This this just changed, but yeah. Oh, can you so, tell us about that? Well, yeah, yeah. Have I have I Mark Sylvester gonna come beat me up? Yeah, or? he will. <laughs> He's got really long arms, so that could happen. I've actually, for the first time, signed an exclusive contract with the company. Uh, before I was working for, at the same time, I was working for doing stuff for Wildstorm, uh, DC proper, and. Oni, like a lot, a lot of companies, all at the same time, bouncing you were never back and forth. Exclusive with anyone. Yeah, and then um, after working for DC for an extended period of time as a freelancer, got to talking with Philip Sablik at Top Cow, and uh, met him. Super nice guy. Yeah, he's he's actually he's also easy on the eyes. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He's, 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 <laughs> no, he's 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 uh. We have a huge gay audience. Yeah, no, this is going to play know, really well. Well, that's all right. <laughs> happy with that. Philip and I had known each other for years, and, and I had done a little bit of work for them. I had, I had worked on Alibi, which was okay. a pilot season book, which is two years ago, a little more? A couple years ago, I think. Yeah, and then I did Berserker for them. Right. And it was just this, you know, kind of wonderful, fun experience. They're laid back. They, they really appreciate the work I do and understand exactly what they're getting into when they, the, the torture when they bring me along in a project. <laughs> We talked a lot about me coming back and doing something, and there was this realization that I had that if I was going to go back to Top Cow and do something as big as working on The Darkness regularly right. and some of the other things they were making available to me, there was always going to be that thing about possibly doing something at DC at the same time or possibly doing something at Oni at the same time. Um, so it comes down to, is this a steady job? Am I, locking, am I locking myself into something with people? And... Um, Everything that they offered was exactly the kind of thing I was wanting at the time. I, I, I'm an art monkey and, and draw regularly, but you know I also do a lot of writing, too. Right. And whenever you are an artist at DC, you know, they, they've really taken a lot of, a lot of chances on, on artist-writers lately, and they're really giving it's, it's a growing thing, and, and it's, it's really, really cool. Jeff but, Lemire. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, David Finch to do to Dark Knight stuff recently, right. and things like that. You know, they are uh, well, actually, Francis Manipal. Perfect know, example. And he's blowing it away on yeah, the flash. Yeah, they really are taking a lot of a lot of. They're giving a lot of chances to writer artists, but I really wanted to be able to go in and do my own thing. I'm definitely a genre guy. I. I I've got a Batman story in me. I've got, you know, a few stories that I would like to tell eventually, but 
I do kind of my own thing. You sure. Know? And and I wanted to, you know, uh, the beauty that I did for for Top Cow. I wanted to be able to tell that story. There's no way that that fits into the DCU. Right. Um, and Does that hurt? Does that, do you find it because you're a genre guy, because you're good at what you do, or you insist on doing what you want to do? Does that hurt? I just think it's I just think it's playing to your strengths, and I think it's doing the thing that you want to do. Uh, you know, I would love to tell a Batman story or or uh, you know a Daredevil story over at Marvel or something like that. I think I think you know there are ideas that definitely work for that, but it's got to be your story. But it, but I I won't, you know. You can't tell a story about an STD that makes you beautiful in Batman. It just doesn't work like that. Well, I mean, I suppose you could, but you know, you're left to work it yeah, all. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Ultimately, too, I think that we now live in an industry where ownership is really is really a, a pretty important thing. I think if you look at uh, Robert Kirkman with The Walking Dead, absolutely. If you look at Chu, yeah. You know, Layman and Rob on that. You know, they you know have really done very well. You know, and, and, and many, many creators along those lines. I think actually, my model for for how I would like to approach some of this is uh, has been Jimmy Palmiotti. If you look at what Jimmy is doing for comics, if if you look at it and say, you know, he's telling he, he you know did the ink thing inking thing for a long time was yeah. was uh, was. Wonderful in that capacity. Kind of lived in joke outside of shadow. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but then he he stepped up and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna write, and I'm going to tell. He has twenty intellectual properties of his own. Right. At any given time, he can go in and he can write Jonah X. He can write and do this, but he has his own things and he owns those, and that's very very important. Yeah. And being able to go and work at Top Cow, for me. And develop my own intellectual properties and tell these stories I want to tell. I was like, that's that's an important. It's a lot thing. more interesting, right? So, what's your advice to someone, a freelance artist, young freelance artist, young Jeremy Hahn walks up to you and says, "I'm going to be you someday." What's your advice to him? <laughs> Quit now. <laughs> no. Go no, get God. a real job. People, people say that. Sell drugs. Yes, yes. That's, that's actually. <laughs> You'll the make way a I lot of money. Um, here, okay, here here actually is the thing: is that. You know, I, I talk, you know, I've been doing this forever now, and I talk to a lot of kids, a lot of young guys coming up, and, and everybody has a story they want to tell. Everybody has work that they're, they're drawing. One in 25, 30, 40. It's pretty pretty big number. <laughs> um, one person in that number that shows me their portfolio and what they're doing actually ever does anything with it. And it's, you know, and I think it's a lot of work. And if you're coming up and you're trying to do this, if you're trying to be a freelancer, if you're trying to develop your own stuff, you got to understand that it's a lot of devotion to have. So you're so saying do the work. Do the That's work. That's most important. Do, you know, I talk a lot, and I've talked about it before on podcasts, but, like, I'm a big believer in generational leaps in your work. I think that happens... And I've noticed it most often in my work about every hundred pages that I draw. Yeah. Uh, I just did the math the other day. That's and a I, lot of damn pages. I, 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 well, I, I did the math, and I've, I've done about, like, 3,000 pages in my Lord. career. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a ton of work, and it's a lot of growth. But if you think about that, and you say that, you know, like, every hundred pages you grow as an artist, you know, and, and in theory saying this in theory, but like the average creator probably 
probably does about 250 pages a year if they're on a, if they're a regular artist on which a book. that's solid that's, that's, that's a lot of work yeah. so if you're doing that you should grow you know at least once or twice a year right know, hopefully twice a year maybe three times if you're really busy but you need to have that growth well then you talk to guys who are trying and trying and trying but they're only doing 10 15 pages a year or something like that they never see that growth they never move to the next level and you have to do that I mean, and I know it's hard if you've got a day job you still have to put the work in and, right. and maybe you can't draw five pages a week that's unrealistic okay well what about two sure you know if you're doing two pages a week that's still what you know 100 pages a year so right. you should have one generational leap a year and that's that's also still being able to, like if you're doing that you could actually draw the equivalent of a mini series in a year two pages a week if you yeah. wait and you know just do it as you go yes. what else we have coming up plug uh, whatever you want this is where you plug stuff you know the darkness is is the thing that I am really focusing that's on that's your bread and butter yeah yeah and, and that's that's my monthly book and so you know it's, it's it's hard to allow as much time as I'd like for other things but everything that I am doing is mostly within the Top Cow wheelhouse. We're going to be finishing the beauty because we won the pilot season nice. of that. That's that. excellent. And um, that that was amazing. We, we were so surprised. Any that, idea when we can expect that? Um, well, I'm going to have to start doing drugs if I... Fair enough. No, uh, that helps. Yeah, understand. lots and lots of... <laughs> if, if only I had a coffee shop in my studio, maybe... Uh, You'll graduate to, like, meth. Yeah, yeah. Well. You know, like, <laughs> coffee's great. Don't get Stir some meth into the coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, the plan is we really want to try to have it out by the end of the year. Um, we're writing on it right now. So that's, that's fairly soon. I'm co-writing that with my buddy Jason Hurley. Um, we're coming along in the writing. You know, it's going pretty well. And then once, because it's a book that I am writing and drawing, it's a lot different because it's kind of like I, I skip a little bit of the process. I don't kill myself as much trying to make a writer happy. I know that's going to suck regardless. That should come. That should flow pretty quickly once I get going on it. I have... And I don't know when this is actually going to hit. Hopefully very, very soon. I, I probably shouldn't even be talking about it. But I have a... The THN exclusive. Right? Yes. You heard a, it here first. A very, basically finished miniseries that uh, Colin Bunn and I did nice. about a year ago. Very nice. That is going to be hitting from a company that is not Top Cow. Are you going to lose your job for this? <laughs> no. Is Mark Sylvester going to shoot you in the head? No, no, no. I did this long before. Okay, you know, so, okay. so we're, we're good. But but it should be hitting, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a horror book. Very uh, cool. Very, very, very good. Which is uh, weird because you don't draw a lot of scary stuff. Yeah, I don't ever Normally draw. it's puppies and yeah, kitties and flowers. Not a lot of guts or anything like that. In my, my, <laughs> all that Archie work yeah, you had. Yeah. Which it's very classic stuff. All ages. Um, and then the last thing, um, I am working on a... Another uh, mini-series with Brian Koshak, the artist on Narcoleptic Sunday, the story that I wrote okay. a couple years ago for Oni. We're doing a period piece story. Really? Set in... Like a Downton Abbey type thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. We're actually... It's going to be a Merchant Ivory <laughs> oh, <wow>. joint. Uh, <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. That's specific. That's, it's, <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's a 70s fun little piece about... Uh, well, it's about crime and porn. 
Excellent. So, it's gonna be two a lot things of fun. you know a lot about. Yes, yes. Two things I know a ton about. And then the last thing, and this is something that we're we're working on right now too. Uh, it's going to be another thing from Hurley and I. It's going to be a maxi series. We've got a great artist that I can't talk about yet. Yeah, but um, it's uh, going to be have initials. Yes, he does. <laughs> CD. If you can figure that well, out. That doesn't help at all. Yeah, not at all. No, um, it's going to be a horror thing, uh, and it's going to be. I don't want to say ongoing. It's going to be seasons. We're doing doing uh, 12, 13 issues cool. per season, three seasons. It's 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 going to be longer form, cool. and that's uh, it's. it's like I said, we're still we're still working on that. Hopefully, I'm going to be able to actually really talk about it. But it's uh, it's something that um, falls into the top cow image family. So. Nice. All right, well, Jeremy Hunt, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, man, I'm the two-headed great. nerd. Appreciate it. You are our first interview. If you'd like to hear the full conversation, we'll have it posted on our Facebook page for a while, where you can also let us know what you thought of the new interview segment and give us your suggestion for who we should sit down with in the comic studio next. And please, let's be realistic. We're not going to get Stan Lee on the phone. Alan Moore is not going to talk to us after he hears what we said about him during our little visit to the THN segment of St. Paul. I want Jack (laughs) Jack Kirby. Bring him back from the dead. All your guys are dead. (laughs) Jesus, dude. Steve Ditko's alive. Maybe if you call it. Pretty sure he's dead. No, he's. But he just he wishes he was dead. Good Lord, man. (laughs) Sort of break it break it down like this. That is it for the first post Joe Patrick episode of the Two Headed Nerd. I'm making it official. Joe is out. Welcome aboard, David. Thank you very much. If you want to hear what happens when Joe kicks in the door of the studio next week and kills Dave, you can oh. subscribe to the show on iTunes where your star ratings and short reviews help us get more attention. And we crave that just like Thanos craves the icy cold embrace of his mistress, Death. A huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep our subscription to The Advocate up to date, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's funny because The Advocate is a gay magazine. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or any comic, web comic, physical comic, whatever that you'd like to have us review. We do that. (laughs) And keep your THN mascot art coming. I'm serious. It has all but stopped. No one has sent us any more. We have like three entries. You guys, it's convention more than one entry. It's convention season. Go talk to some artist and say, "Hey, draw this for me," and then send it into us and be like, "Yeah, I did it." And we'll be like, <laughs> "Wow, that is awesome!" Ben Templesmith draws. Yeah, and nerd Chris Samney will be like, "What the hell?" You know? <laughs> if that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of Two Headed Nerd and answer the question of the week. This week's query. Which Marvel or DC character would you like to see come out of the closet? And it's got to make sense. No jokes here. Not like, yeah, Batman, like, if Robin took off your pants. You know, like, no. I mean, like, who would it feasibly work with? James Gordon. James Gordon? Well, yeah, I mean, just because he was married and had a family. I mean, yeah. that stuff happens. I'm going Brian Braddock. Yeah, buddy. Not bad. Yeah, Captain I, Britain. I like Prim, it. proper, yay. Marvel or DC, yeah. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Desi Cienti, who lettered the Ravagers number one and obviously wasn't told who was who, as he confused the names of the male and female siblings, Thunder and Lightning. To Desi's right credit. Right there on the damn cover. To Desi's credit, 
The woman named Lightning is holding lightning. <laughs> it's true. She's got it in her hand. Holding it physically. Word to you, Desi, for exposing the quagmire that is the DCU editorial staff. And until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for David DeMarco. I'm sorry for all of this. He's sweating. His shirt is off. It's, it's true. I've got a brand new board, brand new mic. This whole it's thing ruined. is such a mess. It's ruined. I'm sorry. <laughs> 